Lowry Productions presents The Great Unlearning, a courageous memoir about one woman's bold journey to mend her broken past. Read for you today by me, the author, Mary Law. In the last episode, I read Murmuration, where I shared why it was no mistake that I ventured into a hospital as part of my undergraduate pre-med training. All it took was one unprecedented morning in the emergency room that put me on a life-saving path to personal inquiry, unlearning, and the healing of my childhood wounding. In today's episode, I will read the next story in the book titled, The Myth of Me. Here is The Myth of Me. Playing a silent game of peekaboo with a little girl perched on her mother's shoulder while waiting in line for a bagel in the food court at the mall, I was as happy as could be. Graduate school was starting in a couple of weeks, and I was fueling up to buy clothes that serious grad students wore. But just as I took a step forward in line... My heart began pounding, and the sound of blood swooshing in my ears became louder and louder. It had suddenly become stifling hot, and as sweat dripped down my spine, an alarming tickle progressed in my throat to the point where I couldn't breathe without conscious effort. I feared I might faint right there on the spot. Looking around to see if other people were also noticing the walls closing in, I didn't catch any displays of impending doom on anyone else's face or in their body language except for my own. They were all just going about their business. But as my hands began to tremble with unbearable panic and I dropped my wallet, I knew it was time to find an exit. These attacks, which had been coming on more frequently, were accompanied by muscle spasms in my neck and back that might seize me for a few hours or put me in bed for days. I didn't know it at the time, but suppression of my unresolved childhood trauma was catching up with me and bubbling up as crippling fibromyalgia, anxiety, and panic. Having been prescribed painkillers, muscle relaxants, and sedatives, which were only partially effective, finding a functional balance between feeling loopy and aware enough to go about my day at school and at home was essential. Even so, I was barely able to take care of two children under five while doing my best to sustain a marriage that was not serving my heart or soul. When it came time to pick a thesis topic, I decided to do research on myself in hopes of understanding the origins of my physical and emotional pain. I sought counsel from a wide variety of practitioners, from traditional Western to non-traditional Eastern medicine, shamanic to celestial guidance, as well as a few otherworldly interventionists and visited as many of these specialists as possible in the 18 months provided to complete the project. 
After asking all 30-something of them the same question, what's wrong with me? I collected 30 diagnoses and braved most of their treatments. My goal was to see how my presentation of symptoms would be perceived, diagnosed, and treated across a spectrum of multicultural, physical, social, psychological, holistic, and spiritual healing traditions. And I didn't see the practitioners in any particular order. After starting with my allopathic health provider, I merely went with the flow of who was presented to me to consult with next. After my medical doctor recommended a psychiatrist who prescribed an antidepressant and two different sedatives and feeling numb from those medications, almost like I couldn't fully experience joy, I was sent to a psychologist who lured me into a talk therapy group for young moms where I was told I am not my thoughts. But after being in a circle of stressed-out moms, where one woman admitted giving her kids Benadryl every afternoon so she could get her housework done and dinner started without interruption, and an assortment of other overwhelming mommy confessions too much to witness, I decided I didn't belong in that group. After a friend recommended her homeopathic practitioner, whose little sugary beads dissolved under my tongue three times a day to help my body heal itself, only made me crave raw chocolate chip cookie dough. The homeopath led me to her partner, a naturopath, who suggested limiting animal protein and removing all grains, sugar, dairy, and certain fruits and vegetables from my plate, which I did, and promptly lost 15 pounds off an already thin frame. But I was always tired, and my hair and nails became brittle, at which point a nutritionist across the street was certain I just needed to eat more of all fruits and vegetables while paying attention to what my poop looked like. I started pooping like a champion. The nutritionist then recommended an osteopath who manipulated my upper body and gave me a spongy cervical collar for my persistent neck pain which I soon became reliant on and felt unsafe without. The osteopath sent me to his favorite massage therapist who practiced rolfing and who set in to piss off the connective tissue in my back while using metal friction tools which left burn marks on my skin. Since I couldn't tolerate her painful treatments, the rolfer dismissed me to a very relaxing, lomi-lomi therapist who lovingly massaged me with kukui nut oil scented with Hawaiian flowers and placed warm lava rocks along my spine, whose kind touch I never wanted to leave. The Lomi Lomi practitioner recommended a physical therapist she saw for her own back problems, who found certain muscles in my neck were weak and prescribed exercises with resistance bands and stretching. The physical therapist then recommended a chiropractor who found me to be out of alignment. So he cracked my joints and sent me to a surgeon to be evaluated for a possible herniated disc in my neck because I was a competitive road biker. When the surgeon offered to cut me, like surgeons do, 
I rode my bike away from his office, rolling my eyes under my photochromic sunglasses, which were recommended by an ophthalmologist because the glare on the road could have been overexerting my eye and facial muscles and contributing to the tightness of my neck. One of my teachers at school suggested I see her acupuncturist who put needles in my neck and ears and then suggested I see a Chinese herbalist who found that my life force needed reinforcement and had me drinking herbal potions that tasted like the smell of compost. I held my nose and drank the special elixirs and developed a sense of braveness and accomplishment for doing so. An Ayurvedic practitioner trained in India found deficiencies in my physical, emotional, and spiritual energies, which she said left openings for disability and offered ways to detoxify these parts of me with herbal formulas and by dripping medicated oil on my forehead during a massage. In the center of a prayer circle, with 12 hands on my body infusing me with God's healing light, I was unexpectedly brought to tears by the powerful feelings which arose. Years later, I gathered several of my dearest friends and used this same hopeful technique on my daughter before one of her cancer surgeries. I have a gut feeling this was a reason for her positive outcome. I've experimented with hypnosis, relaxation therapies, guided imagery, muscle testing, meditation, Reiki, therapeutic touch, singing bowl therapy, and biofeedback. I've kept a negative ion plate in my back pocket, a water feature in my bedroom, Tibetan prayer flags over my front door, multiple crystals on an altar on my dresser, and bundles of sage in an abalone shell on my mantle to burn when my environment needs cleansing. I learned about a psychic healer from the crystal shop where I bought a rose quartz bracelet to promote positive energy and self-love, but didn't buy into psychic healing right away as it all sounded too contrived. However, a few years after graduate school, I reluctantly met with a psychic healer who took me on a past-life regression adventure that transformed this lifetime forever. The exciting story about this unbelievable experience is coming up in a near-future podcast. After a shaman told me I was carrying pain and suffering from past lifetimes that manifested in physical and emotional pain, I didn't feel emotionally strong enough to bear witness or cope with what might be found by working with him further, and waited a few years before engaging in unimaginable ceremonies with a female shaman that I was surprised to find I resonated with. Since that time, shamans have interacted with the spirit worlds on my behalf on several occasions, where I was gifted amazing shifts in perspectives and healing. On one of these occasions, I danced, sweated, played drums, and rattled my intentions for healing around a fire in a teepee during a ceremony where I received the warrior name, Bright Day. There are three shamanic ceremonies that will be shared later in this book. In one, a part of my soul was brought back to me that fled during a traumatic childhood experience from another lifetime. In another, I was taken back in time to find the root cause of my negative self-image. Finally, a shaman channeled Mary Magdalena on my behalf 
with some revealing truths which cracked my heart wide open and helped make sense of the lifetimes I've lived so far. What I learned from these inquiries during graduate school is that practitioners diagnose and suggest treatments based on their individual training, beliefs, and curiosities. And they all see the human body through their own personalized lenses. Some practitioners just see physical dysfunction or disease. Others embrace the mind, body, spirit, community, and environmental connections to health and well-being. This exploration, which extended 10 years beyond graduation, helped me realize that I would not be able to help others who were suffering until I was able to help myself. I needed to heal my own life. My childhood wounds needed to be revealed and loved so I could move forward with the unlikely career choice which awaited me, hospice. gosh, our bodies don't lie. It was about a decade after this fascinating research for my graduate thesis that I learned I was looking outside of myself for the answers to why I was suffering from fibromyalgia, anxiety, and panic. I wanted someone else to tell me what was physically wrong with me and how I could fix it. At first, I was leaning towards there being a physical underlying cause to my suffering. Then years later, I learned about how the body is a brilliant communication tool for the subconscious. Our bodies are expressing what's going on in our subconscious. It's constantly giving us feedback all day long about wellness and illness. Our bodies won't stop giving us sometimes uncomfortable feedback because we refuse to acknowledge the signals. When those painful experiences from our past are finally ready to be recognized and dealt with, our bodies let us know. We can't just ignore what our bodies are telling us, and our body won't stop pushing our physical and emotional pain points. Years before that big panic attack in the mall, I had occasional spasms in my upper back between my shoulder blades and a general feeling of restlessness, which I medicated for, but was left feeling numb. My body kept trying to get my attention for years until finally it laid me down flat, sometimes for days. I just took more muscle relaxants and the sedatives my doctor prescribed. Cheap Chardonnay was part of the mix too. Like I said in episode 10, my own trauma was rotting somewhere in my gut and having never allowed myself to feel it, I was deeply triggered in the presence of great pain and suffering. For most people, their bodies might talk to them through chronic headaches, joint pain, digestive issues, sleeping problems, or depression. These issues can very well be our body's way of telling us that there is work to be done around some issue that's bubbling up to our surface. And a headache can just be a headache, and back pain can just be from overextending yourself. Not every ache and pain has to have a psychological meaning behind it. These physical symptoms can be linked to physical medical issues. If a disease process is ruled out, entertain the idea that the pain you get in your gut, like when you have to visit fill-in-the-blank, 
could be your body trying to tell you something is out of alignment with either your previous experiences with this person or how they trigger you. My body didn't feel well for years. There were messages simmering in there waiting for me. With the writing and sharing of this book, I've been looking deep into the origins of my suffering and the manifestations in my body. When you aren't feeling well physically or emotionally, ask your body what message it is trying to tell you. I do this all the time. If I'm feeling off in some way, I stop what I'm doing and typically say out loud to myself, what am I feeling? What do I need? Sometimes the answer is that I'm feeling tired, hungry, sad, frustrated, and I might need alone time, an hour of yoga, a healthy meal, time with close friends, or to talk to my partner about something he said that was bugging me. Right now my body is saying that I feel well and content. That took me decades to be able to say that. If you'd like to see the self-portrait I created to accompany the story I read today, you will find it on my blog at mary-law.com. Or better yet, while you're on my website, buy a copy of The Great Unlearning. There are over 50 surreal self-portraits and stories in there. Visit mary-la.com. If you purchase a book via my website, I'll send you an autographed copy while they last, or you can buy it on Amazon. Now it's time to address a listener's question. Melinda from Ohio asks, In your story, Murmuration, what did you mean by feeling changed forever? I grieved for something I couldn't name. Great question, Melinda. I felt such intense sadness by other people's suffering. My heart felt like it was being squeezed. I had an unfamiliar feeling of loss and couldn't put my finger on it. In reflection regarding those words, being changed forever, was a subconscious awareness being brought to the surface of my conscious mind that I was on the edge of discovering that the suffering of my childhood and adolescence was about to demand my undivided attention. There was no turning back and no more stuffing my emotions. The grief was most likely the loss of my innocence and the feeling of being whole. You can find Murmuration in podcast episode 10 or on page 73 of my memoir, The Great Unlearning. If you have a question or or comment about a story or my art, please email me at mary at mary-law.com. There's a good chance I'll mention your comment or address your question in a future podcast. My website and email address are also in the show notes. I have a gift for you. By signing up for my engaging newsletter with inspiring new content, information on upcoming events and future projects, you will receive the audio version of my book of poetry, Fear Means Go, read by me. I also play classical guitar on this recording as I did for today's podcast. In the next episode, I will be reading the first story in part two of my book titled Dreadlocks which is about how a coin toss in Hawaii landed me in a circle of beloved women in Oregon who gifted me with the keys to unlock and unlearn the lessons of my root causes of my pain. With the intensity of a thousand warriors, these gentle, compassionate women 
proceeded to love myself loathing to death while breathing life into my conviction to heal. This is Mary La. Thanks for listening.